This morning, we're going to uh, continue our series that Pastor Julio has started us on called We Believe. And we're looking at not only what Christians in general believe, but specifically if any of those have to do with Baptist doctrine or Baptist faith, we highlight those things so that you know if you're coming to a Baptist church, what is it that makes that distinctive. Uh, but as we prepare for the sermon, as I prepared for the sermon this week, uh, I was at a local coffee shop and uh, I opened my Bible, this one that I have right here. And, and as I opened it, um, I, I had a flashback. I opened it to, to think about this message and to work on it. And I had a flashback that the same coffee chain that is all over the world, I was sitting in one of those in another country. And it was a restricted access country. We call that countries where you're not allowed to share your faith. You're not allowed to tell others about Jesus. And I was sitting in this restricted access country, but, but it felt like sitting at home because it was the same kind of coffee shop, you know, the same decoration, the same drinks, the same smell, the same atmosphere. So it's almost as if I was just transplanted from here to there. But I realized that the context was completely different because as I opened my Bible, I began to think and look around and think, oh, do, do people, are people watching what I'm doing? And could this get me in trouble? This was in the days before the Bible app, you know, because nowadays you could sit anywhere and open your phone and people don't know if you're reading the Bible or if you're scrolling on Instagram, right? People don't know the difference unless they actually look at it. But back then, you know, if you open your Bible, it was the actual visible book. And, uh, and, it, and I was remember thinking about this this week because I thought there was this fear that came into my heart, like, like, oh, could I actually get in trouble for this, for having a devotional in a public place in this restricted access country? And, but then I realized, well, you know, I have an American passport, so thanks be to God for that, because worst case scenarios, they'll probably just deport me. You know, they don't want a, a major incident. Uh, but I still had a little fear of what would happen if I got detained and interrogated and so on. Uh, in Texas, you know, thank God we don't have that problem, right? You might open your Bible and wonder what are people going to think about me, perhaps, uh, if you feel like you're being religious or something. But, but you, you're free in our country to express yourself religiously, to practice your faith, to move around freely. And I think it's one of those things that we take for granted until it's threatened, right? It's something I hadn't even thought about, opening my Bible in a coffee shop until I was in a context where that was threatened or challenged. Uh, this freedom is huge that we have, and yet, yet freedoms and free things that are big like, like this are often something that we take for granted. Uh, there are things that we often don't even think about until they're actually threatened or challenged. Many things that we re realize when we stop and think about it, they're free to us and they're valuable, but when you reflect on that a little more, you realize, well, they're free to us because they were paid for by somebody else. Right? Just this whole idea of freedom, of religious liberty in America. Our liberty, our liberty is free to us because it was fought for by Revolutionary War heroes in the 1700s. And it's been preserved by, by our, our values, protecting these values in our country. Uh, here's a, a picture of a Korean War memorial for those who fought in the Korean War. And it, and it reminds us that freedom is not free because somebody has to actually fight for that and protect that and preserve that. Uh, we, we think of, of, of other things that are free to us, but paid for others. Our liberty is one of them. I think it's a huge one. Uh, public services. Sometimes you get public services that you take for granted. You know, the mailman drops off your mail, or, or perhaps you can go to a public school, or you use a public a restroom somewhere, and they're free to us, but they're paid for by tax dollars, right? Somebody's actually paying for this. You're probably paying for it. You just don't know it, right, in some way. Uh, things that are free to us, but paid for others include our church facilities here at Calvary. 
You know, Calvary was established in the 1950s and that first generation really built up, first and second generation really, built up the facilities that we get to enjoy. When you walked in the door, you weren't asked to buy a ticket or, or to pay an entrance fee. At least I hope you weren't. If somebody asked you that, please let me know because they're not allowed to ask you that, right? You don't have to pay anything to come into God's house and worship. And even if people stopped giving and we couldn't pay for the lights anymore and we couldn't run the air conditioner, you would still be free to come in here and sweat together as we worship, right? Because it's free. It's already been paid for and it, we can walk in freely. Um, it's another one of those things that is bought by the previous generation for us. Uh, but the biggest thing, and obviously our focus for today, is that what is the biggest gift that we've received? And that is God's offer of eternal salvation. Now, if you're kind of new to church or if you're not, you know, or if that sounds like language that's just kind of religious, hang on with me because I really want us to unpack what eternal salvation really means, okay? And I hope that it'll make a difference in our day-to-day -day lives, not just something that sounds very churchy. But our eternal salvation is free to us, as we're going to see today, because it was paid for by Jesus' sacrifice. Right, these are just examples for us. Last week, Pastor Julio also mentioned something. He talked about the price that people paid. There were men who died so that we could have the Bible in our language. Have you ever stopped and thought about that? That we have the Bible in our language because other people paid the price for us to have that. Now, why we take free things for granted is kind of a psychological puzzle to me. I'm not fully sure why. But when we're prompted to think about these things, they're powerful moments. Um, this whole preparation this week, I, I thought, well, let me ask my kids what they think about that. So I, said, I, I sent them a text because they all live in other states far away, too far, but that's okay. Uh, you know, I sent my kids a text and I said, hey, kids, what was free to you but paid for by your parents? And I thought, let's, 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 see, let's see what they say, right? Uh, one of them said, my existence. And I thought, oh, okay, that's, that's true uh, in some way, right? But one of them, her, the, her, her first response was food. <laughs> and uh, now she pays for her own food because she lives on her own. But when she was little, right, uh, she didn't have to think as a two-year-old, how am I going to get food? You know, she just knew food showed up at her table and she was happy. Uh, my kids said things like sports opportunities, education, traveling, things that were free to them because they were paid for by their parents. But my 19-year-old said the best thing. He said, my happiness, paid for with the sacrifices you guys made. Wow, that blessed my heart. It's not even Father's Day and it touched me. Of course, it followed with, please, Dad, send more money, right? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It didn't. It was actually pure. And I, there was no follow-up to that. I was, I was waiting for that follow-up, right? But no, he said, it, it was, it, my happiness is free to me because of the sacrifices you guys made. It's like, wow, that made my day. Um, it's powerful to remember the things that are free to us when we put them in context of their worth and what it costs others. And that's what we want to do a little bit this morning. Think about this free gift of salvation that I think we talk about and take for granted in many ways and what it costs God to give to us and how priceless it really is. Um, and there are simply things that when you stop and think about in life, whether it's a child growing up or, or us needing eternal salvation, forgiveness of sins, there are simply things in life that are beyond our reach that we cannot do or we cannot accomplish unless we get help from the outside. And one of those things that we cannot obtain on our own is what we call salvation. And we're going to unpack that a little bit more here in just a moment. But it's like, kind of like saying, well, why don't you walk to the moon? 
Like, what do you mean walk to the moon? It's impossible. Exactly. Reaching your own salvation, as the Bible talks about, is impossible with us uh, unless God makes a way. And that's what we're going to look at. So as we look at the series of We Believe, today we're going to look at the doctrine of salvation. How is it that we get to say that we have eternal life waiting for us, offered to us with God? And the question that we want to go along with this is, is it really free? What does it mean that it's free salvation? Uh, so I'd like to shine some light this morning on, on two free gifts God offers us. The most important one is that we're going to talk about here is that, that eternal life, the salvation, something God offers us freely. But we also want to touch briefly on freedom of conscience. This idea that we all have, as every human being has, to either choose or reject the message of God that is offered for us. Uh, these are free gifts that God offers us. And my hope and prayer this morning is that we'll come to value these gifts more, that we'll come to cherish them more as we reflect on them and give God the praise for them. So both of these gifts, the gift of eternal life and the freedom of conscience are free gifts from a God who loves us. Uh, let's look at the Bible and see what, how, how we get to these points that I just mentioned. Ephesians chapter 2 is going to be our main text for today. We'll look at a couple other verses too later on. But Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, 1 through 9. It says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them, among the disobedient at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But, a great word in the Bible here, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast." May God bless the reading of his word this morning. We believe, uh, I think as Christians as a whole, but in Baptists in particular as well, we believe that the Bible teaches us that salvation, which is salvation from sin and its effects and its consequences, and salvation from eternal death, which is what we deserve because of sin. We believe that the Bible teaches that salvation from sin and death to forgiveness and eternal life we're saved from sin and death. We're saved to forgiveness and into eternal life. We believe that this comes only by a faith-driven response to the free gift of God's grace, the gift of his son. Uh, to put it more formally, in the Baptist Faith and Message, 1963, which is what our church uses as a guide for what we believe, Article 4 says this on salvation. It says, salvation involves the redemption of the whole person, the whole man, and is offered freely, there's that key word, to all who accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, who by his own blood obtained eternal redemption for the believer. In its broadest sense, salvation includes regeneration, that's new life, sanctification, the process of becoming more and more like Jesus, and glorification, which is that eternal life in holiness with God. 
this, this may sound formal, it may sound kind of churchy to you, but, but it really stands in stark contrast. It's a direct opposite to what every other religion in the world, every other religious faith system in the world says. Every religious faith system in the world says, you need to do this and this and this in order to reach God or eternal bliss or whatever it is that the goal, ultimate goal is in their view for humanity. And then you will be accepted. There's this chasm. Every, it's interesting, right, that every religion in the world admits that there's this chasm between humanity and the deity or the perfection or the bliss. And so the question then becomes, well, how do we merge that gap? And, and so often it's about, and maybe it's human nature, it's like, well, we need to do this, or maybe if we do that, or maybe if we do less of this and more of that, it'll get us there. And then you'll be accepted. But the Bible's message is so unique in that it says things like, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, before we even took a move towards God, before maybe we even recognize that there is a God as described in the Bible, God was already at work making his way towards us. Isn't that a beautiful picture? That the God of the universe, the creator, would care so much for us that he's making a way to come to us, to find us, to rescue us. Uh, And Christianity is the only faith in the world that says God came to us because we could not in any way, shape, or form reach him. Let's unpack this a little more in Ephesians 2. It says in those first three verses, we see that we all start out in life spiritually dead. This is one of the core truths of the Bible. It goes all the way back to Genesis 3. When Adam and Eve sinned, sin comes into the world and that separation between humanity and God begins to happen. And Adam and Eve pass on that sin nature through our flesh, what the Bible calls our flesh, passes that on to every descendant of theirs up to us today. And so the Bible is very clear saying, everybody who's born, they're a new life physically, but they're a dead life spiritually. Uh, We all start out in life spiritually dead. And it says here that that's what we used to be. If you're a believer now, that's what you used to be. You were dead in your transgressions and sin. And what can you do when you're dead? Right, not much, right? When you're dead, you just can't do much. You can't do anything when you're dead. And that's the picture the Bible gives us that spiritually, though we might have physical life, we are born spiritually dead, separated from God. But, verse four, what does it say? But God, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. He comes to us. He makes a way. So the second thing we see here is that God's love motivates him to come and rescue us. That is powerful news. That is good news. Every time you see a cross, it should be a reminder, not that, oh, a a religious group meets there or there's some Christians there. It should be a reminder to us that God built a bridge between himself and humanity that was lost and doomed in our sinful ways. And that bridge is symbolized in the cross. It's Jesus standing there as the mediator, the only mediator, the only bridge, the only way to connect us to heaven. And it's motivated by love. It's not motivated by anything that we do to earn it or to to get his attention or to get his favor. It's just simply the love of God reaching out to us. And the third thing we see here in this passage of Ephesians is that this eternal life is a gift from God received by faith. You caught that in verse eight, right? It says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift 
of God. Put those two phrases together. By grace, through faith. What does that mean? Well, grace means receiving what I don't deserve, right? Um, any of you ever suffer a little bit of road rage? You don't have to raise your hand. Oh, thanks. Thanks for being honest. You know, you get those road rage moments. We all do. Yes, pastors get that too. We're human, right? When somebody does something, you know, and they cut you off at the last second and you had to slam on the brakes because they were, they were in the wrong lane and they needed to turn. Well, you know, that road rage happens because we all think everybody deserves judgment. Like, hey, he should not have done that. Where are the police when you need them, right? But yet what happens the next day when you're in the wrong lane or I'm in the wrong lane and I need to do the same thing? Oh man, oops. And I move over and I cut somebody else off. Do we want judgment for ourselves? <laughs> no, what do we want? We want mercy, right? <laughs> we want grace. We, we want that for ourselves, even though we want judgment for others. God views us through the lens of grace. He gives us what we don't deserve, not what we do deserve. And so it's by God's grace that he offers us this gift. And how do we receive it? Through our faith. Faith is that simple sense of saying, I trust you. Faith is just simply saying, okay, I receive it. I believe it. I believe is a, is a powerful thing in our culture, right? When it comes to sports, especially, you know, we, we see our team making in that stretch run. I don't know if there's any Texas Rangers fans in here or Houston Astros fans. Maybe you guys are against each other. I better not say who I'm with, but there's a sense, right? That, that you get to the last week of the season and you're so close and you start seeing the signs. I believe we believe, or like you saw in the picture here in a minute ago, the polar express, a great Christmas movie, you know, they shake the little bell and, and he says, I believe, I believe. And what is he trying to do? He's trying to, to, to have faith, right? That, and, and the idea, and we accept this in our movies, we accept this in our sports, that if you, have, you, if you have faith, it can happen. Or you might see it in that case of Santa Claus or whatever is uh, in, in the movie. I believe it's something that it resonates with us as people. And, and yet for some reason, we, we, we get confused that when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to walking with God, that's all we have to do. All we have to do is say, I believe that that's the only transaction that needs to happen between you and the Heavenly Father. It's that simple. Now, what do we live like after we believe? We'll talk about that in just a moment, right? But I believe is all it takes because it tells us in the Bible very clearly, by God's grace through our faith, by God's method through our belief, by God's love through our acceptance. And why? Why does God do it this way? For his glory, verse 9, so that no one can boast. God says, look, there's no way you're going to be able to do this, but because I love you and because I want people to know that I'm a God of love, I'm going to reach out to you. I'm going to build this bridge through Jesus so that you can reach me. And nobody's going to be able to boast. Nobody's going to be able to say, hey, I'm ahead of so-and-so spiritually. You're all going to be in the same place because the gift is freely given to everyone. Nobody does anything to earn it or deserve it. We all receive it freely. Now, you might know this, you might have heard this, uh, but the question is, but, but do we live this, right? Or, or do we live differently because of it? Uh, we tend to act like our salvation still depends on what we do for God or, or how we behave. And, and sure, it's important, right? As, as Christians, as people who say, I'm a son and daughter of God, I want to behave a certain way. But it's not so that we can earn God's favor. And in, and in, and in light of all this, my question is, do people still have barriers to coming to Jesus, because they think that, well, first I need to behave a certain way, 
or first I need to give up this habit. I have a bad habit or something that's a sinful practice. A lot of people still have this idea, right? I've got to clean up my act and then I can come to God. And I wonder if we've been guilty of, of pushing that barrier forward and, and preventing people somehow from coming to him. But the truth is that no matter what you've done, no matter what you're doing, God says, I welcome you now. I invite you into my family now. We sang that song, you know, I run to the father. It's that picture of the prodigal son and God is saying, hey, all you have to do is turn and, and believe. All you have to do is want to come to me and I'm going to come to you. We'll worry about the other stuff later. God deals with our sin, with our character flaws. He's still dealing with our character flaws as we become Christians, right? But he'll deal with all that later. Come to Jesus now is the message of the Bible. Just as you are, you are accepted. That's a powerful, powerful truth. And we need to continue to make that message known to the world around us. And when you come to Jesus, we receive salvation. We don't receive it because we do believe and something else, right? You don't receive extra salvation when you get baptized, right? Or you don't receive extra salvation when you become a member of the church. You become a member of God's family the moment you receive the gift of Jesus into your heart. And everything else we do after that is a byproduct, not a cause for our faith. Let me give you another example from scripture. It's going to be on the screen if you'd like to follow along. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. And you know, as we read this, I want you to think about something. We're talking about salvation and eternal life, and it can sound kind of uh, out there, right? Like it's, like it's not something that really matters in my day-to-day -day life, especially eternal life. It's like, well, hopefully that's a long time from now. I've got a lot of life to live in the meantime. But you know, when you begin to receive eternal life, our lives begin to look different now. It begins to transform us now. And it has a powerful positive effect in our lives now, if we will allow it to. You know, there's all this, there's all this unbelief going on in the world. And I'm not talking about not believing in Jesus. I'm talking about, did you hear about those two teenage boys who, who, um, who stole two or three vehicles? And after stealing one of these vehicles, they filmed themselves running over a person who's on a bicycle in the bike lane who ended up being a retired police officer. And the, the man ends up dying. And they're filming this and they're laughing. 15, 16 year old guys. And as a culture, we're in disbelief. Well, oh, how could that happen? Oh, that is so strange. In culture, we're in disbelief. And yet, yet the Bible tells us very simply, guys, if you live in sin, if you, don't, if you don't receive Jesus, if you don't let Jesus begin to transform your life, this is the natural outcome. Rebellion and, and do whatever you like and, and even be cruel to others because there's no consequence perhaps in, in your own mindset. That's the natural product of people living sinful lives that are unchecked. We shouldn't be surprised. Yeah, we should be sad. But we're not surprised as believers because we know what is happening. So as we're talking about eternal life, let's not just put it way out into the future. Receiving eternal life and entering into a relationship with Jesus should change us now. And it'll make us better people now so that we, we live life differently in a way that, that cares for others, not destroys others. You want to see less destruction in the world. Help people, help young people know Jesus. It'll change their lives. Look at, look at the things that God promises us in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. 
There's going to be, let's, let's number these. I'll, I'll show you how many things are here that God promises he'll do. It says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth. That, that idea that our spirits have come to life into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. That's a, that's a, that's a very well-packed sandwich that has a lot of ingredients in it. So let me pull them out for you. What does God do here? He gives us new birth. And that's not a, that's not a small thing, right? We said earlier that we're born into life spiritually dead. God says, hey, I can make you spiritually alive. Wow, that's, a, that's amazing. He gives us living hope a hope that endures. He gives us the resurrected Jesus and, and God resurrects Jesus as a proof that he will also resurrect us. God has the power to raise from the dead. Jesus is the firstborn to raise from the dead. It sounds unbelievable to us, but isn't it true that if, if God didn't do that for Jesus, how could he do that for us, right? And so it's proof he raised Jesus from the dead. It's proof for us as well. He, number four, gives us an inheritance we have an inheritance from the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. An inheritance that number five is preserved in heaven. He takes care of it for us. And a word on that, which is another typical Baptist belief, is that once you receive salvation, nobody can take it away from you. Not even yourself. We don't believe that you can even remove yourself from, from the family of God on your own even. God preserves your salvation in heaven. Number six, he shields us with his power. How many of you have ever felt God's power protect you in a vulnerable time? And number seven, he reveals his salvation in the end. Seven awesome things that God does for us. Seven things, which is a number of perfection. Seven, like a perfect Cowboys touchdown. Uh, seven is a, is a wonderful number, right? But what do we do? What's our part? God does seven wonderful things. What do we do? Verse five, all we do is receive. All we do is receive through faith. That's it. We don't even get to kick the extra point, right? We're just sitting there as spectators, as fans, receiving the gift of God, receiving all these promises that he's given us in 1 Peter. All we simply have to do is believe. Why? Because God did all the work. It's his love. It's his method. It's his grace. And you might stop and say, well, how can that be? How can it be that God makes it so easy for us? I'd ask you in return, are you a parent? If you're a parent or you have been a parent or you've watched a parent, uh, a good parent at least, you know, what, what would you not do to save your kid from disaster? If you knew your kid was headed towards disaster, destroying their lives, what would you not do? You would do everything possible to reach out to them, to rescue them, to save them. Why is it so hard for us to believe that God has done the same thing? that God in his infinite power made a way for us so that we could freely receive his gift of salvation. Along with that, let me just give you a quick parenthesis here, is that we believe that this gift of salvation is yours to choose or not to choose. Uh, the term we use for that is soul competency, which means that you, your soul is competent enough. Nobody can dictate that for you. Nobody, can, nobody should tell you what you should do spiritually, that you have freedom of conscience. That's been a historic doctrine that we believe through the ages as well. And it simply means that you have the ability and the right 
to choose to know and respond to God's will. And, and, and it's a, so it's a free will offering. It's something that you can choose to say yes to or no to. You're free to follow Jesus or not. You're free to obey God or not. And you're free to do that without somebody else telling you, whether it's a government authority or a church authority, telling you what you should and shouldn't do. Now, why is this? Again, it's because God is a God of love. And when we love someone, we give them choice. My, this, this concept is called free will and God's sovereignty. I'll just tell you, my personal belief is that humanity's free will and God's sovereignty can coexist beautifully. Uh, but I need a lot more time to unpack that for you. So that's all I'll say for today. But this idea that God loves us and longs for us is, is the same like, like the love of a parent, right? Who would say, oh, I want you to choose what's right, especially when you have adult kids, which we do at our stage in life. You know, it's like, it's like you're cheering them on, but it feels so fragile. It's like, oh, I want you to make the right decision, but I can't make it for you. I need you to make it on your own. And our love desires the best for them, but our love will not control them or manipulate them because we know that's not right. In Romans 9, 2 and 3, Paul expresses this same kind of heart of a parent, and he expresses this for the Jewish people. Listen to what he says in Romans 9, 2 and 3. He says, right before this, he says, basically, Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit are my witnesses that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. What is Paul saying here? He says, he says I wish I could, I know I can't, but I wish I could trade my salvation for the salvation of my Jewish brethren. He loved them so much. He wanted them to know this truth. He wanted them to choose God's way for them so much that it gave them great sorrow and unceasing anguish. And as we reflect on this gift of spiritual life, if you've already received this gift, maybe years ago, maybe one of the things God wants us to do is, is think about, do we have an, a sorrow or an anguish for someone else that we love that has not received this gift? Personally for me, this is my cry for my younger brother. He's nine years old. I'm nine years old. He's nine years younger than me. <laughs> that would be way younger. <laughs> Just checking to see if you're awake. He's nine years younger than me. And my, I've had this anguish for him and for his partner that they would come to know Jesus and that God would sort out everything else after that. Maybe you have this cry for your young adult kids or maybe even for your young kids that, that you long for them to, to want to say yes to Jesus, to believe. When you do that, you're merely reflecting in a small way the heart of our Heavenly Father in whose image we're made, who himself gave the ultimate sacrifice. He gave his son, Jesus, to rescue us. And it encourages me to know that my, my desire for people I love is a little similar to God's desire for us because it encourages me, encourages me to know that he will help put the message out there. He will help make sure they hear it. We can't force them to choose it, but we can certainly put it out there for them to hear it. One last note on this. Uh, I had a Muslim friend many years ago who we were having this conversation and he saw Jesus as a sinless prophet. He believed he was a sinless prophet who came from God, who had a message for the world. But he said, but, but he could not have died on the cross. And, and he said he could not die on the cross because that would not be fair. And I said to him, you're right. It's not fair. It's not fair that Jesus died on the cross. It's not fair that he gave his, his blood. It's not fair that he suffered it's not fair, but it is love. It's not fair, 
but it's love. It's a gift of love that Jesus has given us. And it's free for us because as the old song goes, Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all and all to him I owe. You know, when people are rescued, like in a tragedy, and they're the only survivor, sometimes we have what's called survivor's guilt, but that can be channeled towards living for others in a healthy way. And I think that's the same thing. There's another hymn that says, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. The question for us today is, are you living thankful lives because God has given you this rich salvation, this eternal life that is not only saved for you in heaven, but it begins now. It can impact and transform us now. Are you, are you living, are you thankful for it in such a way that you're living grateful lives? It's not something we can pay back, right? We can't pay God back. We also can't pay it forward. We can't, we can't try to pay this salvation for somebody else, but it is something that we can share. It's something we can share. And that's why it's called good news. That's why if your mom or your grandparent or that pesky coworker won't leave you alone, keeps inviting you to church, it's because they want you to know the good news of love. It's something we can share. We can't pay it back. We can't pay it forward, but we can share it. And as we close this morning, I want to invite a couple of friends, uh, Ronald and Jose Luis Jimenez, to come forward. You know, we believe so much in sharing this gospel message, Calvary. We devote a lot of resources and energy to making Jesus' good news known all around the world. And uh, these two guys are going to go on behalf of Calvary. They work on our missions team, and they're going to go on our behalf to visit four of our mission partners, mission partners in Europe and in Asia, who are devoting themselves to sharing the good news with people who don't know Jesus with people who are far from him, who haven't heard the gift of salvation that is offered to them. And so our brothers are going to go this weekend, starting next coming weekend for about 10, 11 days into October. They're going to visit four of our mission partners. Three of them are in a very dangerous country, a country that doesn't like the Christian faith right now. And that there's a lot of persecution going on. So we want to pray for these guys as they go. They're going to go serve our missionaries. They're going to go learn from them. They're going to encourage them. And they're going to come back and help us know how we can better support them. So in a moment here, I'm going to ask you to pray for them. But let me ask you one last question. Salvation is free to us because Jesus paid for it with his blood. Uh, is that motivating you to live differently? Is it motivating you to share it? Is it motivating you to live a life of thankfulness? I'd like to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your work that you've done. Back in AD 33, Lord, you did something. You built a bridge between, between heaven and humanity. And Jesus, you are that path and you are the way. And all we have to do is receive you and believe you. And we thank you for the, the ease with which you give us eternal life. God, for those of us who've been Christians for a while, help us to rejoice in that. Help us to uh, be inspired again by the fact that you've given us eternal life for free. And it's a beautiful, priceless gift. Help us to want to share it with others. Help us to have gratitude every day of our lives because of this. And Lord, we also know that there are some here maybe who, who may not yet have ever received your gift. I pray that today would be the day that they say, I believe. That today they would just open their hands, open their heart, and receive your gift. And that they would watch how you begin transforming their lives. So Lord, I pray that you would give anybody here today courage to say yes to you and to trust you for the rest. And I pray, Lord, that as my brothers here, Ronald and Jose Luis, as they prepare to go 
to Europe and to South Asia. I pray that you would protect them, that you would bless them, that they would be an encouragement to our mission partners, that they would know that Calvary stands back here praying and encouraging and supporting them, and that they would not only encourage them, but learn what, what work is going on there and be able to tell us better here how we can support them. So I pray that you bless my brothers, protect them, give them safe travel, bring them back to their families with health and with joy. We ask this in Jesus' name.